Please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we just had it sung to us, so I will spare you from me singing to you, and we will read what our Lord taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount as we are continuing to look at what kingdom living is all about. And in kingdom living, Jesus takes the time to instruct his disciples on prayer. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, this is the word of God. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's pray. Father, what a privilege, what a blessing it is that we can address you in prayer as Father. And so as your Son, Jesus, teaches us here, we pray that you would instruct our hearts, that you would invigorate our minds, our bodies, our souls to an active prayer life as faithful disciples of the Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. When I was in seminary, way back when, we actually had to take a worship class. And in this class on worship, we would do uh, various things to learn how you prepare and plan a worship service. And one of the things that we worked very diligently on was prayer, how to pray and worship. And so when I got to seminary, there was this legend that was being told for probably 20 or 30 years of how R.C. Sproul, one of the great Bible teachers of our day, was the teacher for this class at RTS in Jackson, Mississippi. He had since moved on when I got there. But the the legend has it that he was very hard on students when he was teaching them how to pray in worship. And so the students would have to uh, write prayers, prepare prayers, and pray them before the class and before him to be graded on their prayers, for him to give them instruction. And so one man who was very timid to standing in front of folks, he prepared a prayer, and he prayed it, and then he got back his grade sheet from Dr. Sproul that said, (laughs) that was not very good. (laughs) This man was very disturbed. He he didn't know what to do. He felt like he had prayed earnestly and honestly and, and prepared something very worshipful and pleasing to God. So what would he do? Where would he turn? So when it became his turn next time to stand before the class and pray, he asked everyone to bow their heads And he prayed, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He prayed the Lord's prayer. (laughs) Dr. Sproul, it's a good job. (laughs) Another story, uh, 
least you think that in seminary, all the students there are high and mighty and very pious and holy in their prayer life. They're not. And so one of the greatest pranks that I've ever seen played was in another class that I was in in seminary where we had to prepare devotional prayers, prayers that we might, prayers that we might pray in our personal devotions. And we would turn them in to the professor for him to, to look at and to see what our prayer life was like. And so we would do this 10, 12 times a semester, and then every so often he would hand a stack of papers to the first guy sitting in the, in the row and say, here, pass, pass these around and, you know, collect your paper. And so my friend sitting next to me collected his paper, and he saw written there in red ink, this is very shallow, do a better job or stop praying. He did not have his coffee that morning, and so he was visibly and physically upset, and he walked straight up to the professor and said, Professor, there were prayers for my daughter in here who is very sick, and we are very concerned about her, and you telling me to stop praying for her, and this is very disrespectful, and the professor just started dying out laughing. I didn't write that. (laughs) And he didn't know what to do, and then he realized the prank that was played on him. We often feel this way in our prayer life, right? Like we we don't know what we're doing. And and we think that our prayers are not actually eloquent enough for God to hear our prayers. And we even think that we're going to receive some grade on our prayers in the grade book of heaven. And we oftentimes think that, you know, only the top in the class, only their prayers are going to be heard by God the Father. We even feel at times that we're rambling on and on and on, and I I don't know what to pray. Where do I start? Well, this is where our text comes in today, the Lord's Prayer, where our Lord Jesus graciously comes to his disciples to teach them to instruct them on how to pray. Jesus knew the struggle. Jesus knew the confusion that his disciples would would face when it came to cultivating a life of prayer. And so he means to, to teach them, to teach his disciples that kingdom living is about cultivating a life of prayer, a deep spiritual connection to God the Father, that occurs through prayer. Prayer is important. Prayer is the very breadth of our spiritual lives. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this about prayer. He says, Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. There is nothing that tells the truth about us as Christian people so much as our prayer life. So we have now been taught by our Lord that we are not to model our prayers after the Pharisees, Jesus instructs us in the paragraph before, and that we're also not to model our prayers after the the pagans who go rambling on and on and on, he says. So how do we pray? If we don't pray like the the super holy people, the Pharisees, and we don't model the, the pagans with the babbling on and on. How do, we, how do we pray? And so in verse 9, Jesus says, 
pray then like this. And so this prayer recorded in the Sermon on the Mount is called the Lord's Prayer. And it's called that because it was taught to us by our Lord. It's a model. This prayer is, in a sense, how we are to pray. Not necessarily what we are to pray, although these elements are very important to pray and we should pray them. But it's a model to us. It's how we should pray. Many of us have learned this prayer from infancy. It's very familiar to us. Even when I never prayed really in my entire life as a young man, I prayed the Lord's Prayer. And I prayed it so often and it was so familiar to me that even now as a Presbyterian minister, I keep wanting to say, forgive us our trespass, I mean our debts, <laughs> because that's the way I learned it as a child. By the way, either way is fine, but we'll say debts. We'll just go ahead and say it here and now. We're going to say debt and debtors, okay? <laughs> but it's very familiar to us and perhaps it's it's too familiar. It was so familiar to me, I was absolutely sure if we did not pray that prayer before a football game, somebody was going to get hurt and we were going to lose. Somebody always got hurt and we always lost. Uh, but it becomes so familiar to us that we forget the riches and the blessings of this prayer and how important this prayer is to the Christian life. Jesus taught it to us, and we need to rediscover the riches of this prayer. We need to rediscover the practicality of this prayer in our walk with Christ. So Jesus has given us a pattern here. He says, pray like this. This prayer is exactly the help that we need to cultivate a life of prayer. This prayer is to serve as a, as a measuring stick, as a, as a guide for all of our prayers to help us learn to pray. And so our sweet Savior, he does not just warn his disciples to not pray in a certain way like the pagans and Pharisees. He doesn't just say, stop it, quit doing that. But he takes the time to give us positive instruction on prayer. He, he leads us by the hand. He guides his disciples. And so we need to be taught how to pray and what to pray for. And so he doesn't just say, stop praying like this. He says, start praying like this. And he gives us the prayer of all prayers. I want to point out a few things about this prayer as we begin about a six or seven week study looking at these words of the prayer. There's a pattern here in the Lord's Prayer, and you can see this as you look at it in your Bibles. There's several things to note about this prayer. This prayer begins with an address or a preface, which we will study today. It says, Our Father in Heaven. That's how we are addressing God. And this address is followed by six petitions or six requests. Some have said that there are seven petitions, but I'm going to argue and teach that there are six, and we will go through these six in the weeks to come. The first three petitions in this prayer, they're they're God-centered. They have to do with God's glory. 
These petitions draw us away from ourselves and draw us, in a sense, to the heavenly realm, to a God-centered direction of our prayer. But the last three petitions, we could say, are more man-centered. They're, they're based upon personal needs, personal requests. And even when we pray these things, even though they are personal requests, we must not pray for our own good and for our own glory alone, but we should pray out of concern for God's glory and His honor. John Calvin says, there should be no other motive, goal, or intention in our prayers. Our prayers are for God's glory alone. So this prayer, it's about God. And the prayer is a prayer that offers worship. This prayer worships, this prayer adores God. God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, it praises his name. And it does that first and foremost. Perhaps that's the most profound thing that I've had to learn and still learning in prayer. First and foremost, we praise, we adore, we honor God in our prayers. This prayer, the Lord's Prayer, it's it's comprehensive. There are very short few sentences here. It covers a lot of ground, a lot of things like worship, the kingdom of God, uh, our daily needs, confession of sin, all these things. Many of you have been taught, and I certainly have, and think it's a great way to be taught on how to pray using the ACTS model, A-C-T-S, which is an acrostic that stands for adoration or praise. C would be confession. T would be thanksgiving, thanking our God. And S, supplication, supplication, our personal request. These are the biblical elements of prayer, whether you want to call it ACTS or not. Those are the the elements that consist of biblical prayer. And here in this prayer given by our Lord, we find three of these elements of prayer. We find all of them except thanksgiving. We see in the Psalms over and over and over the prayers of thanksgiving. Another thing to know about this prayer, it's very brief. The beauty of this prayer is that it's it's simple. It's beautifully simple. It's a, it's, it's a model. We can, we can memorize it. We can literally use it as a grid in our, in our minds and as, as we pray, either in public or in private. And so this morning, we're going to focus specifically on one line here in verse 9, our Father in heaven which is the address or the preface to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus tells us who to address in our prayer. You ever thought about that? How do I start my prayer? Who who am I talking to here? Am I talking to God, you know, Allah, the Trinity, the Father, the Son? Who am I praying to? Jesus says, our Father in heaven. And when he says this, when we pray... We pray to a loving Father and a holy God. That's the two things we're going to look at this morning. We are praying to a loving Father and a holy God. First, we pray to a loving Father. Jesus says we address God as our Father. Perhaps one of the biggest theological shifts that we see from the Old Testament 
to the New Testament is the way in which we address God. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times in the Old Testament, we see that God is referred to as Yahweh. Yahweh, the the God who made the heavens and the earth, the powerful God, the God who delivered the Hebrews out of Egypt and destroyed the, uh, the Egyptians. The Lord God Almighty is his name. But in the New Testament, we are introduced by Jesus to a new side of the Lord God. He is Father. God is our Father. God is referred to as Father in the Old Testament several times, but he's never addressed as Father like we see here in the Lord's Prayer. The fatherhood of God is not necessarily a central theme to the Old Testament as it is the New Testament. It is Jesus who comes to his disciples who teaches us that we are to pray to God as Father. The great reformer Martin Luther taught that the address of the Lord's Prayer, our Father, was very purposeful by Jesus. Addressing God as Father causes the disciple to to pause and to reflect on who it is that we are praying to and to take note of our standing before Christ in prayer. We are praying to our Father. To God the Father. And so even just those words, Father, a term of endearment, an address to God in which we we know He'll he'll hear us because we are His children. He is our Father. And since we get to pray to God as our Father, this does imply, right, that we are His children. We've been adopted by Him. Those who have put their trust in Jesus Christ have this amazing and glorious privilege of being a son or a daughter of God. And this is what the apostle John taught in his gospel in the first chapter. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And since we are his children, God the Father loves us. He cares for us. He provides for us. John Calvin taught that Jesus calls us to turn to God our Father in every necessity as children turn to their fathers whenever they are in need. Have you ever thought about why and how you can call God your Father? Why do we get to do this? You know, if We were in a Muslim country where Islam was the dominant religion. To call God as a father is considered blasphemy, punishable by death. What a blessing it is, and we take great pride as believers in Christ, as Christians, that we get to call God our father. And we can only do this because we have been made his children through the grace, through the mercy, through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Some may actually struggle with this concept. 
that God is our Father because they have had a cruel and unloving earthly father. But we must see that God the Father, the great God of the Bible, He will not abandon or forsake His children. For this would be contrary to His nature. He is the Father we long for. He is the perfect Father. He is the Father who will never let us down. He is the Father who made the ultimate sacrifice of love. He demonstrated in the highest way possible that He loves us and will not forsake us by sending His own Son to die for us so that we would be His forever. And in response to the wonderful grace and love of God for His children, this is where the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He, that is God the Father, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? This is God our Father. Every prayer that we find in the Bible begins with invoking God's name. One of his holy names. And by doing this, we're invoking his favor, his presence. Before a a single request is made, before a single personal request is made, we pray to God our Father. We address him as Father. Isn't that amazing? Because of Christ, God is our loving Father. He knows what we need because we are his children and he loves us. And so next time you pray the Lord's Prayer, we say it here and here at worship, we are saying, our Father. He is a loving Father. Think about all that that implies and how gracious it is that we get to address him in that way. But we not only pray to a loving Father, we are praying to a holy God. We pray to a holy God. He is our Father who is in heaven. God, our Father who art in heaven, you may have memorized it or recited it years and years ago. God is in heaven. And when we say that, when we say that God is in heaven, that could conjure up all kind of images and thoughts in your mind. And unfortunately, many of these images and thoughts are are false images and are wrong because of something we saw in a movie or something we read in a book or something we saw illustrated in a novel. And most of these images are unfortunately not theological correct images. That's why we don't have a picture of God, the Father in heaven. Least we worship it, least it become an idol, least our finite minds start to think of we can confine God to just some picture. But to say that God is in heaven is not to say that you that we know his address, that we could somehow 
send NASA to his throne. We cannot. God is not confined to a place, nor is he shut up somewhere where we cannot reach him because God is everywhere. As we've said in the last few weeks, as we looked at the theology of prayer and the theology of God, he, he knows all things. He sees all things. He fills all things. Heaven is the word that we use to attempt to grasp God's glory. It's a word that we use to show of his power and his majesty, of his, of his otherness. He's not like us. He's in heaven. God does not exist in time or space. God has no physical dwelling. He is the God of heaven. Heaven is his abode. And it is the place where he is completely sovereign over time and space and of this earth. I saw some NASA video last week that showed the biggest known star that we know of that has been discovered. And it makes earth look like a BB. Supposedly it said that if a jet airliner was to fly around this star, the circumference of this star, at 900 miles an hour, it would take 1,100 years to make one complete circuit. God is the Lord of the cosmos. He is not confined to a place. He is sovereign over all. And so to describe him as our God in heaven is a type of, here's your big word for the day, anthropomorphism. <laughs> What's an anthropomorphism? Well, an anthropomorphism is a term that we give God human qualities or human characteristics simply so that we can understand and attempt to grasp what he is like. And so the word heaven is used, we say our God in heaven is to draw our minds and to draw our hearts and to draw our thinkings heavenward, to somehow grasp a God who is infinite and eternal, which we, we can't because he is, he is almighty, he is sovereign, and we are, we are finite. We say that he is in heaven because he, to draw us away from our earthly mindset, away from any false images that we may set up in our minds and toward a place of his supremacy. God is in heaven. He is sovereign over all. God the Father is still, even in the New Testament, he's not only a loving Father, but he is the Lord Almighty. He is still Yahweh. He is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, goodness. He is holy, holy, holy God. And yet, we can approach him in prayer. We pray to a God who is a loving father, yet he is the all-holy God who is in heaven. And so 
We must remember these two things as we come to our God in prayer. He is holy. He is sovereign. He is in heaven. Yet, he is a father. He is a loving father. And brothers and sisters, my prayer for you and for me as as we cultivate this prayer, you know, we... You know, one of my favorite uh, pastors, Eugene Peterson, said, you know, before, before Jesus Christ, we're, we're all beginners. We're all just trying to learn this Christian life thing. We all have a lot of growing to do. And so we have to cultivate a prayer life. And before we make one request, before we make one petition to God, let's realize that we are praying to an all-holy God who is a father, who art in heaven. He's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Holy Spirit, we too can cry out, Abba, Father. Abba, that Aramaic word that means daddy, that term of affection and endearment. He is our father. This prayer that is taught to us by our Lord. It's a call to spiritual growth. We are to constantly be growing in our walk with Christ. And again, prayer is an area that Jesus means to teach his followers the way to pray in order to to, to grow and to develop a a, a prayer language that, that he taught here in the prayer of prayers. You know, as I said before, it's remarkable to just slow down and look at this prayer. It's simple. It's it's address is it's it's simple. Yet it's profound, is it not? When we stop to think about that little phrase, our Father in heaven. And so as you strive, brothers and sisters, to cultivate a life of prayer, remember to orient your prayers to, to God and address Him. You can address Him. We are to address Him as Father, your Father, who is in heaven, the powerful and mighty God who hears His children in prayer, and He delights to show His fatherly love to hear our pleas for mercy and for grace. It truly is amazing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, forgive us where we have very flippantly and very lightly used those words and and fail to stop and to reflect upon how gracious and how awesome it is that we get to address you in that way. It's because you are a loving God. You are a a good God. You are a heavenly Father to us. And so, Lord, would you help us, help us to believe, help us to see that the way has been for us by our big brother, Jesus Christ, 
to come before you and to pray to you as a loving Father and a holy God. Help us. Help us, we pray, to pray to you. In Christ's name.